Wrestling with History on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. That's right. The newly minted VOC Nation Wrestling Network. We're dropping radio, but this is Wrestling with History. The voice of choice, Bruce Ward, the least person that you want to see, but I'm alongside uh, the, the two superstars, Killer Ken Resnick and uh, the legend maker, Wonderful Willie, Bill Apter. For another round of wrestling with history, not just uh, a new uh, new uh, what you call it name or uh, yeah new network name for VOC Nation. We're tweaking the format a little bit this week as we do a spotlight episode on the one and only Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Wait a minute, we got this just huge news yesterday, and you don't even include the term worldwide. I don't understand. <laughs> Yes. Thank you, Ken. I, I mean, it's like, really? well, like, I, really? I, Bruce, do I need to try and go like channel Mr. Fuji and send you mind to mind communication? Like, what's up with this guy? What's up with that? I'm trying to talk as little as possible. They don't want to hear. People are making it very clear as this show grows in numbers. And in popularity, the feedback is very consistent. They don't want to hear from me. They just want me to open the show and turn it over to you. So I can't even tell them that we're number one in China. I can't tell them that because I'm not allowed to talk. We're number one in China, Bill, and he drops the term worldwide. Go figure. I know, which is absolutely incredible. Right. I think we're, I think we're going to have to ride here and, uh, and just take over the ship. So how have you been, Ken? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, after a, a week of sub-zero temperatures, it's actually above freezing today. The sun came out. So that's good. But you know what? You know what? We are here to discuss one person, backstage stories of one guy who, if he had the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, right now, he would say two words to him. And you know what that would be? You're fired. Yes. Yes. He absolutely would. Before we get to Vince, we are worldwide at VOCNation.com. That won't change. We will be going through an overhaul of the website, so stay tuned for that. This show is available in full form on audio on all of the podcast apps, radio.com, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And then on YouTube, we pick little snippets and we upload them to YouTube. The full video podcast will be available for a very low price starting in a few weeks on yeah. our patreon more information to come but bill and ken and that's right you can watch the number one wrestling podcast in all of china in all of china by the way i want to i want to mention that there's a gentleman who uh, runs a show in china and bruce I, I don't know if you have the information in front of you that i sent you uh, earlier today because my um uh my facebook uh is not available to me right now but All there's right. a gentleman who runs a show for a sit-down interview show that's based in china and it's all about 
Pro Wrestling. His first name is Al. Al Lung. Al Lung. And we want to send a shout out to Al Lung that uh, in, in China. Chinese wrestling. Yeah. The VOC Nation, the entire umbrella of shows under the VOC Nation is number one in wrestling podcasts in China. And uh, I mean, we are above Stone Cold Steve Austin's son. We're above Chris Jericho. I mean, wow. All of the Conrad shows. All of wow. the Conrad shows. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, so now listen, for those of you who, who are educated about this stuff, I, I Apple will update their charts every 12 hours at 1 o'clock. So 1 p.m., 1 a.m. Um, and it varies. So you go up and down. But um, I've seen us, number one, like four different times in the last couple of days. And then we'll dip a little bit and then we'll go back up. So um, very exciting. And uh, we keep climbing on the U.S. charts, too. We've cracked the top 50 um, many times over the last couple of weeks, which is yeah. it's hard to do. There's a lot of great shows out there and a lot of great yeah. talent. Yeah. You know, I, I know we have to get to Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon, but yeah, Bill, is are we doing something wrong where we are number one in China, but barely cracked the top 50 in our own backyard? <laughs> well, I don't believe that. I, I think um, I too think much too much voice of choice. I think technically, I think technically, uh, the issue is not an issue. We're growing consistently. That's true. That's true. Unfortunately. The VOC Nation Wrestling Network, not just this show, lots of great content. Go to vocnation.com. You can see all of it. And remember, more information coming on the Patreon, where we'll, we'll have full video episodes and then uh, some more exclusive content. So we'll get you that information as it develops in the next couple of weeks. We're going to start talking right now about the one and only Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And remember, VOC Nation, our shows take you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. So we're not just going to give you a biopic of Vince McMahon. We're going to give you behind the scenes stories of Vince Some McMahon. backstage stuff. Backstage stuff. Born August the 24th, 1945. That's right. He's 75 years old from Pinehurst, North Carolina, Bill. And uh, Vince McMahon is obviously the son of his father, Vincent uh, J. McMahon. People that are the sons of their fathers. <laughs> but he was, uh, they, they were introduced at the age of 12. So Vince didn't grow up necessarily with his father. And uh, do you have any... Any story uh, there, Bill? Do you uh, have you gotten the um, have you gotten any uh, stories about Vince the first time that he met his father? Well, not the first time he met his father. I do know that um, he uh, um, his father was a totally different type of person uh, than Vince. When you talk to wrestlers about Vince Senior and Vinny. There's such a huge difference between the two of them and both their methods of uh, business and personalities, where Vince Jr. was someone who really wanted to get out there and, as you know, very boisterous and very out there. And his dad didn't want any part of the spotlight whatsoever. Not at all. They were totally different that way. Uh, but one thing that a lot of people don't know and there's a great book called The Capital Revolution by a guy named Tim Hornbecker uh, for you to read. And it's all about uh, the whole 
the whole situation between senior and junior and the whole capital wrestling corporation. But what I didn't know until a few years ago uh, was that Vince senior also went about business that sometimes was a bit questionable uh, going into uh, different areas and trying to, um, I'll use the word take over some different territories and stuff. But I I had a long relationship with Vince Sr. Um, I started in the magazine business, as you know, in the early 70s. And uh, Vince Sr. did not care for my mentor, the publisher of the magazine, Stanley Weston. Um, The two had a falling out several times. But Vince Sr. told me when I contacted him that I seemed like an affable fellow and that he would give me a chance. And uh, again, he was never out there at all. He was always behind the scenes. He was a businessman. He was extremely classy, always came to the, to the garden in a tuxedo, looking, uh, looking just like a, a, a wealthy businessman, like he was very, very uh, a dapper looking man. And um, I do remember the early days when he would start bringing what everybody called Vinny back then into the uh, dressing room uh, area. And uh, he just wanted to be one of the boys. Yeah. Well, and, and I see that Vince McMahon in, in, in my research, I've, I saw that Vince McMahon actually wanted to become a wrestler. And uh, just like you said, Vince's father said that wrestlers or promoters don't appear on the show and they should stay apart from the actual wrestlers. So, well, that's interesting because one of the early things that Vince Jr. told me when, uh, before he actually took over the, uh, the, the, the driver's seat from his father, uh, anytime you would see a picture of himself in the magazines, he would give me one of these. And he wasn't being nasty. He says, listen, I would appreciate if you kept me out of the magazines. I didn't know what he was going after. And then I asked him one time why. He says, well, that's for the talent, not for, not for me. Little did I know that in his mind, he was already structuring that why are these, and I heard this firsthand, why are these people um, making a profit off of their product when they could be putting out their own magazine. Sure. Bill, when was the first time that you met Vince Jr.? Well, he's not a junior, but Vince is. No, no, everybody called him Vinny or Vince Jr. Yes, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, Wow, probably he started coming around uh, as his father had hired him uh, as an announcer. He was a ring Uh, announcer for All-Star Wrestling in 69 is when he made his debut. And uh, that's people remember a lot of Vince McMahon doing the announcing, but I, I found it fascinating. I never knew he was a ring announcer. Uh, well, he, he did that. Uh, his dad put him in, in uh, many different, he learned the whole business. He helped with putting rings up. He, uh, he helped with everything there. So I met him probably, uh, I started in 1970. I probably met him in 73, 74, maybe. Um, and then when he was starting to uh, do broadcasting from 
the garden and other places sitting at ringside being the broadcaster. I thought he was incredible. I really did. I thought he was one of the best sure. commentators that I had ever. He had that, well, look at him, you know, Gorilla Monsoon. Now, he had that make you want to listen type of uh, thing about him. But when I first saw him little by little starting to take over, uh, it reminded me of a... Uh, it reminded me of a, a day in his office where I wasn't there. This was in the um, New Haven Coliseum where he had You were there office. but not there or you I'll really you weren't how. there? I'll tell, I'll tell you how. All I was right. there by telephone. And I used to call the office periodically. And the only two people in the office was Vinnie Jr. and Howard Finkel. Howard was, Howard was uh, his longest... Uh, employee ever. Howard stayed there till Howard passed away. Howard, but Howard was with him from from the start there. And I remember uh, any time that I would call the office, Vince uh, would say, well, how can I help you? And he was always very fast. So I figured maybe I'm bothering him. And Howard and I would talk periodically on the phone. And I remember I wanted to um, I wanted to cover a show in uh, Allentown. I was living in Queens at the time. And I didn't know how to get there. And uh, I figured, what the heck, it's, I'll call Howard. And I was in the magazine office, actually, in Rockville Center. And I called and the phone rang and Vince picked up, hello, can I help you? He said, oh, hi, Vinny, it's uh, Bill Apter. And I could tell right then he was starting to sound like it's not Vinny anymore. It's Vince, not Mr. McMahon, but Vince. And uh, I said, can I speak to Howard? He said, well, what's this about? We're very busy. <laughs> no, no, you're laughing, but this is business here. Um, and I said, well, I'm planning to come up to Allentown and uh, I don't know how to get up there. And I figured maybe Howard could give me directions. I heard a long pause and then he said, why don't you get a map? And he hung up. He hung up. It was quite scary. It's quite scary. I'm afraid to laugh because you just no, don't I know that these fans out there are not going to want me to laugh. Know. So I'm not telling jokes here. So um, Howard called me back a few days later and he says, you know, I understand that, you know, you called me about this and Vince was upset. We're like really busy here. He said uh, he'd prefer that you not be at that show. I was like, ooh. What did I do? I said, was it because of the phone call? He says, no, there's some things going on internally that uh, uh, there's going to be a bunch of meetings uh, at that show that night. So I didn't go. And uh, I stopped calling the office. Howard and I would talk at night from my home to his home. Vince was out of the picture uh, with me at that point. But it was it was scary because I, I noticed a um, I noticed a change in everything and you know I, I hadn't known that he was getting ready at that point for uh, to get the business from his father um, and you know start to uh, to take over the business and as you know when he he did not only did he steamroll over the territories that of course Ken is can speak on very easily. Uh, there, but he, um, he was going to steamroll over the magazines. And I, I had, there was an incident um, where he was telling 
Mr. Weston called me into the office one day. By the way, none of this is in my book. This is all exclusive. I've been talking about this. Right here. Yeah, on the VOC Nation. Yes. Wrestling Network, worldwide. Yes, worldwide, especially in China. But um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Weston, my boss, called me in and he says, McMahon Jr., McMahon Jr., is going around to the distributors telling them if they take our magazine and not his, that he's not going to let us have any access or anything. We were already feeling that. So I called a bunch of the, I called the distributor that we were with and he confirmed that. And uh, I started getting calls from people like uh, um, Ole Anderson, Eddie Graham, what, what do you hear about Vince? What do you hear about Vince? You think it's going to succeed? You think Junior is going to, to, and I would say, I would say nothing nasty. I say, well, the only thing I tell them was that the distributor story, which was true. So a few months later in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the national, I always say that like Tom Jones, because I saw him in Las Vegas a hundred times. And here we are in Las Vegas, Nevada. Home of the best piano bars in the entire country. Well, they were until COVID took over. Oh, that's true. But, uh, um, and I'm sitting at a table at the NWA convention with David Von Erich, his lovely wife, Trish, Vince McMahon and his wife, Juanita. Who I, you know, I used to talk to Vince Sr. on the phone almost every week. Just a polite call. He'd call me once in a while just to... We talk about the rankings and the ratings, et cetera. And uh, I was with, uh, I think, George Napolitano and someone else at the, at the table. And uh, I went to uh, get up to use the bathroom. And as I was getting up, Vince Sr. got up and he's following me and he, he grabbed a hold of my wrist in the, um, in the lobby. My nose is running from my after's alley chilliness here. Um, Not your COVID shot, right? No, no, no. Actually, the second COVID shot, I didn't have any reaction to. It's good. So um, you grabbed me like this, by my hand, and he held me there. And I said, what's the matter? He said, I hear you've been saying bad things about Vinny. He said, I don't know what you've been saying, but Vinny's not going to do anything to hurt you people at all. I, I don't know what you, you have in mind. But, you know, if you keep saying things about Vinny like this, you, you know, you're not going to be like, George, you're going to be out of the out of the fold. Hmm. And I was like, wow. And uh, later on during that meeting, Ole Anderson asked me what um, what Vince had said. And Ole pretty much told me that he says, oh, the old man's full of crap. He knows exactly what his son's going to do. So, yeah, so those are the uh, early things. Vince was never nasty to me in terms of personally at all, everything he did, I took as this was business. And it was because he was never, he, was, he would never call me up and say anything bad. He never said anything bad about me to people. He would say, I don't want those magazine people hanging around, but he never said anything bad about me. Uh, and through the years, um, through the ban of the magazine ban, when all the magazines were banned, when he started his own magazine, he did offer me the job as the editor several times. 
Um, I turned it down because I was very loyal to Mr. Weston and Inside Wrestling, the wrestler, and eventually PWI. Um, but we were, we, were, we were locked out. And I'd see him in uh, hotels once in a while where the wrestlers were staying. And he'd always, he'd see me and he'd come over and he says, uh, what are you doing here? Do you have a camera? And I said, no. I, I always told him that I would never embarrass he or me by doing anything like that. Anybody that sent us pictures was one of our freelancers. It was never me. Before, so kind of my, my uh, inside backstage stories of him. I, I, I do have some more, but it's more recent stuff. And I, I think, you know, Ken should chime in with his relationship working for Vince McMahon. Yeah, Ken, talk to us about that infamous uh, first meeting. And, you know, we have it in long form in the archives, but give us the short story of your first interaction with Mr. McMahon. Where, well, is, where is that Risner guy? When uh, they flew me out to New York, when I got to the office, um, you know, they, it wasn't like a normal corporation where you might, you know, if you were interviewing, you'd go to human resources. <laughs> so they kind of scheduled it. You know, I, I met with uh, Terry Garvin. Uh, I met with Pat Patterson. Uh, I met with George Scott. I think I met with Arnie Skolan. And I think there was kind of a hierarchy after each meeting, they take me back out to the lobby. And then whoever I met with would talk to the next person. And I'm guessing, you know, I got, yeah, he, he seems like a good guy or, you know, someone we should certainly look at. Cause it was like, I kind of got passed up the food chain. And I think the last person I met with right before Vince was Pat Patterson saying back to the lobby. And then I got, you know, called into, uh, Vince's office <clears throat> sat, you know, in front of him. He was behind his desk, and you know, we talked for maybe two, three minutes. Uh, and he asked me about my mustache, you know, right away. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what he meant. And you know, then he went on, wanted to know when I grew it, how attached I was to it, asked me a few questions, and came right out and said, you know, in spite of Oakland, I hate facial hair. Yeah. And then he just stopped. He didn't say anything anymore. He just like looked at me. And I kind of said, well, I, I, I guess if you're asking if everything else worked out, would I consider, you know, shaving my mustache if it was that big a deal? Yeah, I guess I would shave it. And that was it. And then we visited and talked about, you know, a, a number of different things for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, you know, maybe a little more. And then same thing. All of a sudden he just stopped looked at me for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, didn't say a word, opened up his top desk drawer, pulled out a razor, a can of shaving cream, pushed it across the desk and said, bathroom's right through that door. And to, to backtrack, during wow. that conversation, we had talked about, you know, when I would be available, we had talked salary. So it wasn't like, you know, just did that. But that's what he did. And I went in the bathroom, shaved my mustache, came walking, walked back out to his office. You know, he had a private bathroom and he looked at me and he said, well, you just showed me one thing that's important to me. And, you know, I looked at him and gave him a quizzical look and he said, you showed me when you say something, you back it up. You'll start Saturday. Wow. Uh, 
and, and that was it. And, you know, reflecting back and my time there, I, I think in some small way, it was, you know, probably everything he said about mustaches was true. But I also think, you know, I was a new employee coming from a different territory. And I think he wanted to establish that, you know, there was, like I've said, uh, when I, during my time, there was two rules you never broke from. Rule number one, Vince is always right. Rule number two, if you think Vince is wrong, see rule number one. <laughs> I think it was Vince's way of just establishing that, hey, I'm the boss. You do what I say. Ken, I, I, uh, I have a question for you. I was just listening to on 83 Weeks, which is Eric Bischoff's podcast that he does with Conrad Thompson. And uh, Conrad, I'm still upset with you. Us in China? In the rank behind us in China. And uh, Conrad and I will get in the ring over the name Wrestling With History, but that's another story for another day. He is liking our show on Twitter. So uh, actually, I, actually, to be very honest with you, yeah. I spoke with him earlier <laughs> uh, yesterday. I sp Do you laugh at I talked with him yesterday over something. And uh, he he likes what VOC Nation is and what VOC Nation does. He was extremely complimentary. He did not know that I'm part of VOC Nation yet. And he was like, he said that Bruce is a great guy and oh. you're with a great uh, company. And I gave him the history of how long I we've known each other. And yeah, so well, just add that in. I've said this on the record a lot of times. The reason I'm doing this again is because Conrad ignited my passion for, uh, I, I listened to the Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and, and I, I really didn't miss it for a long time, Bill. I, I stopped doing it for five years and, and Brady um, was doing everything day to day. And, Brady um, Hicks for you people and, who don't And know. I just, uh, I listened and I said, wow, I really miss doing that, but I don't wanna do it. I don't like the, car, the current product. It has to be something that works and, um, you know, I, I fast forward, I ended up talking to Ken. I was doing a show really by myself. Um, uh, my former co-host was kind of in and out and he had some family um, things that he had to take care of. So I called Ken and I said, hey, Ken, do you want to do this together? I'm, I'm kind of thinking about getting back into this. And um, that was before I got the bill for the network again. Uh, that's another story for another day. And Ken said, sure, we'll have some fun. And, and here we all are. But yeah. whoa, 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 there's revisionist history. Wait, you first texted me. I said, what me? No way. And I'm just not a podcast, you know. And it was like, yeah, I wasn't absolutely receptive. Bruce kind of talked me into it, you know. And I was like, well, okay, I'll give it a try. <laughs> here we are, two I, I, years I, I, later. Hold on. Hold on. Since you brought up Bruce, there's a Vince Bruce story that I have that nobody knows about. Well, let, let me ask Ken this one question. Hold that, right? We're going to do that right on the other side of the first break. But I want to ask there Ken is. this, and, and shout out to Conrad. Thank you so much for doing what you do because uh, you do a great job. You put out a lot of great content for everybody. Adfreeshows.com. Uh, I recommend the subscription. I, I got the $10 package myself. So there you go. Ken, uh, 83 weeks, Eric Bischoff tells a lot of stories about Vern Gagne. It sounded like Vern was much more conversational and, and would hang out with uh, the talent or at least people he was close with backstage and, and joke around. That's at least what I got from Eric's stories. Vince uh, versus Vern. What was the biggest, uh, the, the biggest the difference between the two? 
Um, I, I mean, in comparison to Vince, you know, Eric is not wrong. Uh, you know, Vern would be in the locker room, you know, with the boys, but a lot of times it was also because of Vern was on the show. Right. You know, Vern was, you know, for a lot of the time, the champion. But I will say, you know, Vern didn't, you know, necessarily hang out, but certainly Vern was more accessible, you know, than Vince. Uh, pretty much back then, you know, for the announcers and at least the, the somewhat lesser talent, the only time you interacted really with Vince is when Vince wanted to see you about something. So in, in terms of that, Eric's correct, you know, Vern was around more and more accessible. Yeah, Vince, Vince, you could just walk up to Vern and say, hey, Vern, and, you know, he would yeah, listen. Vince usually sent you, Vince was in his own uh, office. By the way, I lost the two of you for about a whole minute and a half there. So <laughs> we, I, hope we saw you. Oh, was I moving or was yeah, I Yeah, you were moving. You were yeah. great. I was yeah. talking with no words coming out. Um, but with Vince, he has an office. And if you needed to see him, usually he'd be glad to see you after you talked to several people to get to him. With Vern, and I remember being backstage at a lot of the AWA shows, where somebody sought out Vern, sometimes he'd say, see Wally Carbo or see Al Darusha or see Greg. But if he really thought it was something they needed to talk to him, he made time to do that. But, but even in that case, and, and Bill, you're absolutely right, but you could still walk right up to Vern and say, hey, I want to talk to you about, and then Vern would say, you know what, Go, talk to Wally about that or, 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 or talk to Al, whereas you couldn't really just, you know, walk into Vince's office and say, hey, I want to talk to you about. No, not, you could do that during the early days because he wasn't the Vince, uh, he wasn't the Vince that we've come yeah. to know. Um, as the business was growing, Vince became more of a, a businessman and he had to have people, uh, as his left hand and right hand men and people do just like any company, you know, sometimes somebody will start a new company and they're very happy and very, and then as the company's making money and everything, they have to hire underlings. I hate to use that term, but who are very important to uh, do the job of what that Vince at that company may have had to do. And one of the most famous came on in 1987 and his name is Bruce Pritchard. And I know you got some stories, Bill. I wanna sneak in a quick break. We'll come back on the other side with that setup, and you can tell us about your Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard story. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide. Worldwide, especially in China. The VOC Nation Wrestling Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com. 
and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Back here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network, the number one wrestling podcast in China. That's right, Chris Jericho, Conrad Thompson. We are number one in China. Uh, Bill, before the break, you mentioned that you had a story, uh, Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon uh, story that I would love to hear. Well, wait, and hold I, those up again and watch your lighting here. You know, I was a photographer. Hold those up again. Now, you can't see the one in your right hand because it... Oh, yeah, there's Vince. The, the light. Yeah, there's Vince. Let's, go ahead. Let's see the other one now. I love you, brother love. Brother love. I'm trying to get, get the uh, glare from that light. Well, that's why I'm wearing we a hat, so you don't have the glare from my comb over. There we go. Well, right. You know what? We'll put up with Gross. the here. Um, okay, so here's the story. This is before Bruce Pritchard was brother love or anyone really knew him outside of Houston. Bruce was working for Paul Bosch, the legendary promoter of Houston wrestling. And I remember getting a call one night from Bruce saying that after years of working for Paul, he's going to be giving notice soon because he got a call from Vince McMahon mm. to come, come to New York. He didn't have all the Bruce Pritchard built into him at that point. Right. Um, we talked for a long time and he asked me what I thought of the move. And I said, well, how are you going to tell Paul? And he, that, that was his issue is how was, he was going to do it. And I never really talked to him uh, about how he did it. Um, and he was like a son to Paul Bosch. He really was. Paul taught him everything from booking to ring announcing to everything. So I remember when I was sitting, being offered a, a job in uh, Titan Towers, JJ uh, Dillon had brokered me to come in to talk to Vince and Linda about possibly working for the magazine. And again, I said, well, what happens if the magazine doesn't work out? Well, we'll find something for you to do. That now I have over here, and it, it's in my book, I believe, an actual letter from J.J. Dillon welcoming me to the WWF. Wow, 1993. Yeah. So, uh, but this was not for the magazine. So the other thing that they were going to find for me to do here was that um, they were going to start a Hall of Fame, and. They, actually, this meeting was not about me with the magazine. I'm going to rewind that. This was for me to possibly be the curator of the Hall of Fame, that they were going to have a physical Hall of Fame. So my question was, what happens you know, if this doesn't happen? We'll find something for you to do. So they put me on a retainer for a few years at $100 a week to procure stuff from wrestlers. I got Buddy Rogers boots and a bunch of other uh, things. And uh, I was sitting at that meeting and I had talked to Bruce, I don't know, somewhere around there. And I said, by the way, I just talked to uh, uh, Bruce Pritchard from Paul Bosch's office. Oh, I heard about any things I heard about him. And I 
wound up hiring him eventually, of course. But uh, that's, that's why I said it's kind of a Bruce Pritchard. Nobody, Bruce wasn't even uh, Bruce Pritchard, as I mentioned at that point. He was a young kid trying to make his way into the business and look where he's become. Yeah, he went from brother love to uh, uh, to so many other great places in the business. What's the uh, saying, uh, Bill, that people would take a bullet for Tom and put one in Bruce? Isn't that isn't that? I never heard that. <laughs> never heard. Never heard that. Never heard that. Oh boy, uh, Bruce and Tom. It's funny that I never, even though they are brothers, I never saw them together. I never felt they were brothers right and two different personalities completely two different personalities so yeah um so one I, of the I, things i would say the the opinion of the two brothers is rather different yeah yeah so on uh, toward the end of uh uh the last few years uh as you know i've been on the wwe network many times yeah and during my times either backstage at WWE or filming them up at WWE, uh, I've come across Vince. And instead of that, what are you doing here? He looks at me and he gives me a hug. He says, nice to see you. And the picture, one of the pictures on the cover of my book is Wrestling Fixed. I didn't know it was broken. Thank you, on sale everywhere. Um, you know, I got to get one plug in. Uh, one of the pictures is Vince and I together and that was taken, uh, oh, about the book is five years old. So maybe six, six or seven years ago. And once in a while, uh, they, are, they are courteous enough to let me come backstage. There are no more cameras or anything. They don't care. They don't have a magazine anymore. Um, but I don't bring a camera anyway. Everybody has a cell phone these <laughs> days. But every time I, right, every time I do uh, run across him in the hallway. He's just, he always comes over and talks to me. So nice. he knows that I have been through the, the hardest part of what he did, watching the territories disappear under his going in and taking them over. And the nicer parts of what he did where he became so huge his company that wrestlers performers were making more money than they ever dreamed they could have sure yeah. so a lot of people are going to listen to this on the voc wrestling network a lot of people are going to see this on our uh, upcoming uh patreon yeah. platform uh but i don't want them to think that i was going out to bury vince mcmahon with stories because that's not the relationship that I had with him. The relationship was a business relationship that was not good because he wanted to put out his own wrestling magazine and it was his product and he could do what he wanted to. But on the personal end, he was always was always okay with me. And, uh, and, and Linda was as well. And uh, Stephanie um, through the years. And yeah, always been, uh, had a good relationship. Ken, and you were there for, uh, I think, what, 86, uh, early 86 until, what, the beginning of 88? 87, 88. 88. And uh, obviously, you know, you were a big part of the formative years of primetime wrestling and wrestling challenge. So you were, 
you were around a lot and, and for some of the biggest angles in most of our, our lifetimes. I mean, in, in terms of wrestling, when, when, at least for me, my fandom is in the 80s and that's the stuff I remember. I don't remember, I, I, the Attitude Era was great, but I remember the little things that happened in the 80s. So I'll speak for myself. Um, because you were part of a lot of the action and you were doing the backstage interviews, did you have any tense moments with Vince McMahon ever? A lot of the stuff was pre-recorded, so it's not like it's live and there's big pressure. But was there any tense moments that stick out? Uh, there was really only, you know, one. Um, and again, for the majority of the, you know, thousands of interviews, you know, it was the agent. Vince wasn't even, you know, there. The only tense or chewing out I got uh, was I did an interview with the British Bulldogs and they had, you know, Matilda. Uh, and, you know, we, we got along great. And I think, you know, they had said, hey, we, we're going to set Ken, Ken Matilda, up. Matilda, by the way, was a dog for the people who right. are watching this we're and don't know. A British yeah. Bulldog, an yeah. English Bulldog. Um, and they had Matilda there and we're doing the interview. And I think it was, you know, Davy boy started it and then, you know, Bulldog picked it up and it was talking more and more about Matilda and, you know, uh, Matilda has been neutered. So, you know, we don't have to worry. She's never going to have any puppies. And, uh, and David said, so, well, now what do you call a dog that's been neutered? What, what's that word? And they're going back and forth. Well, Ken, you're smart. You you must know. What do you call a dog that, that that's neutered? I mean, you know, Matilda said, "What? Is, how should we?" How? And they were saying, yeah, and then I finally said, "Well, you, you call a that a dog that's been neutered is she's not going to be able to have any puppies." Uh, and it shows you the difference between back then and now. And uh, it was, you know, it aired on TV. I mean, everyone in the room did, didn't have a problem with it. But the following week, um, I'm doing interviews and kind of take a break. And then I forget who comes up and somebody says, Vince wants to see you. Oh. And I'm kind of, I, I had no idea. But as I'm walking to, you know, Vince's office at whatever arena we were in, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm not sure what it is, but this probably not going to be good. <laughs> And, you know, I, I go in and Vince references that interview and he goes, don't ever do that again. And then that was it. You know, he didn't like the fact, you know, I said. On, on the air Jesus set up. And now I got to bleep it twice by the by the bulldogs. Um, and I was smart enough in the instant. I thought about saying, well, you, you got, they really set me up, but I'm thinking this is Vince and that rule number one. And I said, you're right. I, I absolutely apologize. It'll never happen again. So that wow. was in all the time, the only really tense moment I had with, uh, Vince uh, the only other thing one day, you know, I was doing interviews and Vince came in the room for a while, uh, didn't say anything. And we, we took a little break and Vince just comes up to me and he says, Hey, 
do the rest without your shoes. Your heel is making you too tall. You know, so and then from that point on, you know, I did. I just took my shoes off, so I was a little shorter. You know, that was very sensitive about that in the old days. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but you know, that wasn't a tense moment or anything. He just said, you know, hey, you know what? Take your shoes off. You'll be a little shorter. There were a lot of times when I used to go to the TV tapings in Allentown. um, And Hall, brother. Huh. Okay. Ag Hall, brother. Uh, when I I go to the uh, to the TV tapings, and Vince would be interviewing someone who is practically a wrestler who was almost eye to eye with him, and they would call for a milk crate or something, and yeah. have the guy stand. So I want to back up on something where I I told you earlier uh, in an earlier segment about Vince asking me not to put him in the magazines that the talent is for the boys. Um, this is Vince Senior, Junior. Oh, Junior. Okay. Was, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. Vince Sen- Vince Senior didn't mind periodically when I took a picture of him. Got it. Not at all. Vince Junior was the one who said to me, uh, "Don't put me in the mag," because he was trying going to formulate his own magazine. So, um, we're at WrestleMania press conference number one that I was not invited to, but uh, I was told go. They can't keep you out of there. It's a public press conference, not for fans, but press. And I went. I think we talked about this on a, yeah. a prior show. WrestleMania show. Looks so I saw Vince McMahon um, on a, with a WrestleMania backdrop behind him. Uh, the Undertaker was standing here. Basil DeVito, who was Vince's right-hand man at that time, was standing there. And there were photographers coming up, taking pictures of him. And I stood in line, and it was my turn. And Vince's eyes hit my eyes. And instead of what he could have done was like, why are you doing this? Because there were a lot of press there. He, I'd never seen almost a shy blush out of him in my life. And he just kind of did like, hi, Bill. And he let me take the picture. And that's in my book, by the way. Is wrestling fixed? I didn't know it was broken. On sale right now. No, but that's true. It's a, it's a true story. So I, I got him to uh, take a photo of him. And then I was invited to a couple of WrestleMania press conferences through the years. And, um, you know, there was press there and I clicked away with everybody else. There was never any, well, we don't want Bill to do this. Interesting. I think he realized after a while, even though they had their own magazine, when they had things like WrestleMania, that the quote unquote legit press was covering, that it would be wrong to toss out the wrestling press. I think there's there's so much that we can talk about with Vince McMahon. We'll probably end up doing another show no, at some point. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That's it. I'm done. To, to cover more. But b- before we get out of here, I got to ask you guys. And, and by the way, when I poke at Bill a little bit, Bill and I have been friends for uh, over 10 years now. 10 and years, three months, six days, and 12 hours. Don't think I'm being disrespectful to the legendary Bill Apter or uh, – the legendary, the legend maker, still after, or the legendary Ken Resnick. Hold um, on, a minute. hold on. Yes, Vince. Yeah, no, it's done. No, I said nice things about you. Thank you. Bye. I'm sorry. Uh, we have a very friendly relationship, and uh, they uh, they would uh, give me a, a really hard time if I ever uh, stepped out of line, and and we'd probably delete it from the show. So, uh, please. Well, I have. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you because this has happened to me on when I was doing a podcast with 
and it, one of my adopted nephews, Josh Chernoff, and he periodically, he's got a sarcastic sense of humor. And he used it on me a few times and he got lambasted by my, my after chatters. He really did. So anyone that interviews me, you have to understand that the after chatters who I love so much for supporting me through the years through the magazine days and after the magazine days and during the current magazine day of looking for the magazine, I don't have it here, Inside the Ropes magazine, um, they support me and they're my, they're my backbone. They're always with me, but I know you don't mean anything really. It's funny. There's nothing. I, and I've, I've been attacked for, uh, for poking at you. And anytime I've ever said anything about Dave Meltzer, they come out in force. Meltzer's oh, yeah. got his army. Yeah. 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 Don't talk about Japanese wrestling. Hey, uh, so before we get out of here, Vince McMahon changed the product. So wrestling was geared towards, uh, I would say adults and it was hardcore and blood and guts a lot in the seventies and sixties. And Vince McMahon came along in the eighties and said, and this is probably a lot of why Ken got in trouble for using that word, which I'm not going to say because I'll have to bleep it out again for YouTube rhymes with itch. Yes. Yes. But, but I won't say it. Uh, but he, he or the, of, the character on Halloween riding the broom, it rhymes with. Yes, yes, yes. He went towards kids, and uh, it was all about merchandise and cartoons, and uh, it was over the top oh, characters. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. How was Vince McMahon just a softy for kids, or did he see that as big business? Again, you were there on the inside. What was your take on Vince McMahon steering the product uh, really exclusively towards kids? Advertising revenue. Uh, yeah. you, know, you, you look at all, all the ratings. I mean, the most important rating is uh, 18 to 49. And as Vince recognized the tremendous revenue source that TV could be, he realized or you know, was told by his television people that, hey, you know, our, our ratings are good, but we're skewing older and right. we need to get younger viewers. So I think the real reason is, you know, Vince has nothing against kids, don't misunderstand. But I think the real driving force behind that was advertising television revenue and the coveted age group is 18 to 49. Vince knew he had to start appealing to younger viewers. And I think that's also what drove Vince, you know, WrestleMania one to bring in Cindy Lauper, you know, the young people that were into music, it was basically advertising revenue and Hey, we got to get younger ratings. Yeah. Now, Bruce, I take exception to what you said that he started gearing it toward kids. The, the, the cartoon stuff was for the kids, of course, the rock and wrestling, but the product was looked at. If you saw the, what the audience looked like in the early days of the WrestleManias and all that, they were Wall Street executives buying tickets for their whole staff. It became a phenomenon. I hate that word. Uh, but seriously, it became a huge event. It was something that everybody was following, not just kids. The kids, the kids had part of it with the cartoons, but the adults and the younger demographic had this exciting thing that, that Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. T, uh, 
all these guys, these were larger than life characters out there on TV. So it wasn't, he wasn't just putting it on for kids. He was going for that younger demographic and it was genius to do the cartoon to get kids to want their parents to take them to see the matches because these guys were cartoon characters. But Bill does, does, okay. I, I understand. I'm just thinking more like does the adult wrestling fan buy into Hillbilly Jim as much as, or, or Coco beware with the parrot, right? Instead of Coco Ware, the, the high flying wrestler from Memphis, does, does the, does the, more mature fan buy into that as much as as seven-year-old eight-year-old it it, yes because it turns some fans away but for the most part there was an excitement about that era that like a hillbilly gym after the dancing and all that he was still he was still a wrestler there once the bell rang Ken, are you looking for something on YouTube? No, I, uh, suddenly uh, on my screen it said an uh, Adobe update is available, and I can't get out of it. But we can see you. We can see time. you. I, yeah. can't, I can't see you guys at all. That's what happened to me before. Well, let Maybe. me let me uh, Ken, if you can hear me, uh, when yeah. when Vince was doing. The kids stuff, right? And and this, I'm going back to '85, '86. You were in the AWA. Did did was there any sense from Vern that this yeah. is never going to work? We need to market towards adults, and and that that won't succeed. No, uh, the the only real step he took was, you know, after Vince had, uh, you know, had was bringing in the entertainers, bringing in Cindy Lauper. Uh, it was Wrestle Rock you know, the had already been announced for the Metrodome and then they added Waylon Jennings. But other than that, um, they never really changed, you know, their style till the, you know, the very end, the turkey on the pole and the challenge, because that was just, you know, desperate to see, you know, what would work, you know, kind of throw it on the wall and let's see if anything sticks. But, they, they all uh, you know, say- but, but again, you know, remember Vince was getting these, you know, huge television revenue and, and realized it. And Vern was still using television to drive ticket sales for the house shows. So, you know, he hadn't really caught up and, and never really did to what television could be. You know, television was, you know, a huge revenue stream for Vince and to Vern television, we need television to sell tickets. Yeah, for that old school mentality. And keep in mind that uh, I remember the Vern telling me, asking me one time, you think Vince is going to run out of money? And I said, I can't tell you. I haven't seen his bank account, but what he's doing is on a larger scale than a lot of stuff that I've ever seen. So it's going someplace. I don't know where. Well, and we, we've talked about it. If WrestleMania won, had not been the success it was. I think that helped him get, you know, more investors, uh, pretty much as you said, you know, mainstream viewers were now becoming wrestling fans. Absolutely. But I, if, if WrestleMania one had been a flop, I don't know if there would be, have been a WrestleMania two. Yeah. 
February 1st, February 21st, 1980, Vince McMahon founded Titan Sports and Titan Sports acquired the Capital Wrestling Corporation in 1982 from his father and uh, his father passed away in 1984. And that, 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 those sequence of events really gave us the wrestling history. I'm going to tell you something though about that. Okay. I remember Vince McMahon senior calling me and he said, in your magazines, we're going to change the, uh, the worldwide wrestling federation to the world wrestling federation. And I said, I asked him, I said, why? And he says, well, everybody knows the world is wide. So it just (laughs) seriously, that's what he said. And that, that's when I think it was like a different, it was becoming incorporated as WWE and WWF and that WWE. was the story. You know, it's interesting. I, I never met Vince Sr., but when his name would come up, you know, when we were on breaks or in the locker room, uh, and again, you know, as Bill Apter rightly pointed out, he had a little, you know, territory takeover in him before Vince Jr., you know, yeah. really took it to the degree. But in terms of the, the talent and the boys, never ha- heard a bad word about Vince Sr. No, he was a very classy individual. He really was. Even can't quite say so much about Vince Jr., but Vince Sr. never heard a bad word. Yeah. Final question, guys, and then we'll, we'll kick it to what we're going to do next week. Uh, was there anybody inside the business that actually thought Jack Tunney was in charge of anything for the WWF? Uh, yeah, all the fans did. <laughs> yeah, I was one of them. Right, I did too. When somebody was an official back then, well, there was no reason why not to believe it. Yeah. Would you not believe it? Ken, did Jack Tunney sign your checks? Uh, no, but hey, I, you know, I met and actually did some interviews with Jack, but um, my best guess, I, I you know, Jack, I, I think probably had a, certainly a tie-in to, uh, you know, Pat Patterson and, and the Canadians, but I think Jack also helped Vince inroads in the Canadian cities. And- Absolutely, and- for a fact. His, uh, uh, Frank Tunney, who was the promoter at Maple Leaf Gardens and, and built an empire, yeah. yeah, was very close with Vince Sr. And uh, yeah, Jack Tunney, uh, first of all, Jack couldn't have signed the checks because, you know, his position was an official. He wasn't in charge of the company. Gee. No, I know that, Bill. I know well, that. I, I, I know. I, to, to put a, a, a ribbon on this, I, I will say this, having, you know, worked with both of them. Jack Tunney was far more uh, presidential and had more presidential duties than did Stanley Blackburn. Oh, you know, Stanley Blackburn, the AWA president, every year on my birthday, October 22nd, he would call me and wish me happy birthday every year since I met him the first time in Amarillo. Did Vern ever call you to wish you happy birthday? No, no. See, There you go. That was Stanley's duty. That was his one job to call you on your birthday. No, but he, he did. Either that or if he missed it, he'd send me a letter by snail mail and send me a, a birthday card. He was, he was a terrific guy. I really yeah, liked nice him. Guy. Wrestling with history, uh, Vince McMahon. That's, uh, that's the show for today. We thank you Actually, for getting... We're going to do the Stanley Blackburn hour. <laughs> no, 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 no. we got to get out of here before that happens. 
Uh, thank you for getting this far. That means that uh, we qualified as a monetized episode with uh, with Megaphone, and that's how we, we pay the talent here. So make sure that you uh, listen and tell your friends to listen for more than six or seven minutes. That's I got it. the check. I was able to afford the Fruit Adventure Tic Tacs. This there week. we go. The big and, box. And uh, we're going to tell you in the coming weeks as we rebrand VOC Nation Radio Network to VOC Nation Wrestling Network about more ways that you can help support. Obviously, you can buy the T-shirts, Killer Ken Made It Real, and, and a bunch of other fantastic shirts at vocnationshirts.com. Uh, that's part of the Pro Wrestling Tees family. Next week, guys, we are going to talk about three significant champions from the, uh, I would say, the 60s and 70s, right? It's a fair point. And, Bill, give it to us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hang on. I'm just trying to find the right color Tic Tac to do this with here. Um, the idea is, and I think people will really love this with wrestling with history, let's take three of the great champions. One of them from the mid-60s. Well, two of them, actually. Yeah. Why don't we look at the, the backstage, some backstage stories and the greatness of people that Ken and I both met and were around quite a bit. Harley Race, Vern Gagne, and Bruno Sammartino. Very exciting. Now, I can do a Bruno imitation. I can do a Harley imitation, but I don't have a Vern one. <laughs> wait, do you want to hear the two I can do or should we wait till next week I think we should wait till next week okay. let's leave it in suspense I do have a story when we get there you have to remind me of you yelling at my former co-host for doing a Bruno impression to Bruno and that was uh, sacrilegious to uh, to many people including Bill After was that Namar? Namar, yeah I think I remember that we had a very popular show in Philadelphia Namar uh, didn't understand uh all of the uh, the inside rules in professional wrestling and uh, he was doing we were uh, you know barking at a convention uh, for lack of a better term and uh, he was doing bruno impressions and, and bruno was there and bill was not a happy camper we'll talk about that next week uh, but for this that. for this I week we're out that. of time uh, for for, uh, for wonderful willie the legend maker wait bill a minute Apple. wait a minute what time is it in china right now 10 a.m. 10 10 21 a.m. Right. Something wow. like that. So wake up, China. You gotta check this out. Wake up, China. For for Bill after Killer Ken Resnick. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Ford. Send us out, Bill and Ken. We'll see I you. leave it up to Bill. No, we'll see you at the matches eventually. Take it, Killer. I can't top that. Like Bill yes, said, we'll see you eventually. Maybe. <laughs> He's holding back on his trademark, folks. So your trademark is maybe. that one. Your trademark is that one big word, Bruce. Maybe we'll get it next week worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. China too. Right here is the future of wrestling.